Shalom, shalom, and welcome again, world changers. We are going to have an awesome time again tonight, reading the Song of Solomon, reading from Proverbs, reading from the wisdom of Solomon, something that a lot of you guys don't have in your Bibles, and also the Odes of Solomon as well. Uh, and uh, thank you, Hannah, for playing that live music for us. For, uh, wonderful, wonderful music. Um, we appreciate your live music and your talent, Hannah. Okay, so just before we get into uh, reading here, I just want to share uh, this coming Saturday. Okay, uh, Dr. Snyder has invited me to uh, to speak on his channel. So I'm going to go over to his channel. Uh, this would be uh, earlier in the uh, in the day on on Shabbat this coming Saturday. I believe it's like 11, 11.30 a.m. Eastern time. I have to just double check that with uh, with Dr. Snyder himself. So I'm going to be speaking on his channel. I'm going to be telling uh, my story uh, and uh, all that kind of thing. I'm looking forward to that. Okay, so um, welcome to those of you who are on TikTok as well. Welcome, welcome. Great to see you. I am li uh, streaming live uh, with uh, on Podbean as well. Uh, doing a live podcast. I'm going to be sharing my screen on YouTube. So for those of you who are interested in uh, seeing what I'm reading um, and availing yourself of those kind of features, uh, go on over to YouTube. You'll see uh, you'll see me over there. Uh, if you want to stay on TikTok or on Podbean, you're welcome to do that as well. But just like just to let you guys know, you're only going to be seeing uh, you're only going to be seeing me instead of the actual screen that I'm reading from. Let's begin. Now, I'm going to start out by reading the Song of Solomon, a.k.a. Song of Songs. Now, just before I read that, just a quick little introduction to it. Uh, it was reportedly written by Solomon himself. Uh, this would have been approximately, well, be a thousand years before Christ, a thousand years BC, approximately, um, give or take some, you know, few decades. So uh, it was not in the canon for twelve hundred years. Okay, it was not in the canon for twelve hundred years. So um, that should be something that speaks in and of itself because it was it was hanging around in uh, in you know in the holy land for 1200 years and it was not put in the canon it was approximately well it was in the 2nd century AD that it was officially added to the canon it was the jews who added it to the canon and the christians adopted the jewish canon and just basically slapped old testament on it they slapped the label old testament on it so the reason why the song of solomon or the song of songs is in our bible today is because it's in the jewish bible and the reason why it's in the jewish bible mainly only i mean and mainly because if not only because it was reportedly written uh, by solomon and so there has been disputes, uh, historically speaking, there's been disputes among different rabbis and different Jewish leaders. Should it be in the, in the canon or should it be in the Bible or should it not be? And so they finally decided to put it in there. Um, although there is no direct reference to God in it, there is no, uh, you know, Torah per se in it. Uh, it is just a, a song of love. Um, 
written by Solomon uh, to one of his wives, apparently. Uh, we know that Solomon had many, many wives uh, and concubines together, all together would be, uh, say, what, about a thousand altogether. Uh, and, uh, and so one of those thousand, um, or at least one of the 300 wives, he would have had, uh, this would have been written to. Uh, now, Christians typically view the Song of Solomon as an allegory between Christ and the bride. And the Jewish people view the Song of Solomon as an allegory between God and Israel. Um, I think, truth be told, truth, truth be told, the Song of Solomon was not originally written as an allegory. It was originally written as an as a as a love song. Okay, I, I do believe it was a it was you know when Solomon actually wrote this, you know, assuming it really come from his his pen, so to speak. It he didn't really have in mind for it to be an allegory. I think that both the Jewish and the Christian uh, allegorical attribution to the Song of Solomon uh, is just an attempt to justify its place in the Bible. Honestly, if you want my honest opinion, I think that the Song of Solomon was written by Solomon and he had no idea it would be in canon. And, and this, I mean, like I said, it was like 1,200 years, 1,200 years it existed without it being in the Bible. So, um, as some of you know, I don't, I don't like to go too hyper literal with things. And on the other hand, I don't like to go too hyper spiritual on things either. I want to look at things as they were originally meant to be. When Solomon sat down to write this, did he originally, did he write this to one of his women or to one of his wives, or did he actually write it in with God on his mind. If if it was with God on his mind, why is it that he never said that at all? And it wasn't included in the the canon. It wasn't officially canonized for 1200 years. Can you imagine? Okay. Um not to say that it it is wrong don't get me wrong I, i'm not saying that it is wrong to to uh, to read some allegory in it or to take it as an allegory uh to a certain extent uh i'm just saying from an objective point of view and i believe from a scholarly point of view as well i think it is uh it wasn't written to be that take it as you will um and Christians are known for this more, more so than the Jews. I mean, the Jews do it too, but the Christians do it as well. They allegorize and spiritualize a lot of things. It's like, I mean, I mean, if, if Jesus, you know, uh, spoke to, uh, you know, a rooster, they would say, well, the rooster represents such and such. And when he said this to that, it wasn't, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think we should go overboard in allegorizing everything, spiritualizing everything. And the same goes for the Song of Songs. The same goes for the Song of Solomon. Okay, uh, let's see what we have here in the chat just before I dive into the scriptures. Um, 
Schmidt. Okay, hello over there on TikTok. Welcome, welcome. Uh, going nowhere over there on YouTube says, Hey, Christopher, told you I'd be here. Great, good, good to see you. Welcome, welcome. Blessings. Tammy says, Shalom all. Shalom, Tammy. Blessings, blessings. Going nowhere says, Seems like I heard this rumor that Solomon wrote this with the Queen of Sheba in his mind. Um, uh, Really, I, I think that's just, um, I think that that is just a theory that really doesn't have really much, much basis to it. I mean, it's possible. It's possible. Um, but I don't think it has, a, we don't have a whole lot of evidence that, that would, uh, you know, convince us of that in a, in any kind of a convincing way. The Great Deception says, uh, Revelation 21, the angel shows John the bride of Yeshua as New Jerusalem. The city of the New Jerusalem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, some of the things that we have, talk about allegories and, and uh, virtual, not virtual. What am I saying? Like, um, Um, words just slipped my mind, actually. In the book of Revelation, there's so much symbolism. That's, that's the word I'm thinking about. A lot of symbolism there. Okay, so let's begin with that in mind. Um, like I said, the, Solom the Song of Solomon has been disputed as to be whether or not it should be in the Bible. Um not so much as the Ecclesiastes, though. Ecclesiastes was more disputed than the Song of Solomon uh, for various reasons uh, that it should not be in the uh, in the Bible. But we'll, we'll we'll deal with that when we get there. Let's begin. This is the Song of Solomon. For those of you on TikTok, again, I'm in just a moment. I'm going to be sharing my screen on YouTube. If you want to uh, see what I'm reading and you want to avail yourself of those features, um, go on over to YouTube. You can find the link to my YouTube channel in my bio on TikTok, or just go to YouTube and search for Christopher Enoch, uh, and you will, uh, you'll, you'll see I'm live there right now. Okay, so Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, chapter 1. Verse 1, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, the bride. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is sweeter than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore, the young women love you. Draw me after you and let's run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. Of course, can you imagine, by the way, can you imagine hearing this song being sung? It's, I don't know. I'm wondering if Solomon actually sang this song. The chorus, we will rejoice in you and be joyful. We will praise your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you, the bride. I am black and beautiful, you daughters of Jerusalem. Like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. 
Do not stare at me because I am dark, for the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me caretaker of the vineyards, but I have not taken care of my own vineyard. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where do you pasture your flock? Where do you have it lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Solomon the lover speaks, If you yourself do not know, most beautiful among women, go out on the trail of the flock and pasture your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. To me, my darling, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are delightful with jewelry, your neck with string with strings of beads. The chorus. We will make for you jewelry of gold with beads of silver. The bride. While the king was at his table, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh, which lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. The groom. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. The bride. How handsome you are, my beloved, and so delightful. Indeed, our bed is luxuriant. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters junipers. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. The bride's admiration. I am the rose of Sharon the lily of the valleys, the groom. Like a lily among thorns, so is my darling among the young women, the bride. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is beloved among the young men. In his shade I took great delight and sat down. In his fruit, and his fruit was made to my taste. He has brought me to his banquet hall, and has and his banner over me is love. Refresh me with raisin cakes. Sustain me with apples, because I am lovesick. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. The groom. Swear to me, you daughters of Jerusalem, by the, or by the does of the field, that you will not disturb or awaken my love until she pleases. The bride. Listen, my beloved, behold, he is coming, leaping on the mountains, jumping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he is standing behind our wall. He is looking through the windows. He is peering through the lattice. My beloved responded and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The blossoms have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines, and the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. 
The fig tree has ripened its fruit, and the vines in blossom has have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beloved one, and come along. The groom, my dove, in the clefts of the, of the rock, in the hiding place of the mountain pathway. Let me see how you look. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is pleasant and you look delightful. The chorus. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards while, the, while our vineyards are in blossom. The bride. My beloved is mine and I am his. He pastures his flock among the lilies until the cool of the day when the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of Bethair. Song of Solomon, chapter 3. The Bride's Troubled Dream. On my bed, night after night, I sought him who, whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. I must arise now and go around in the city, in the streets and in the public squares. I must seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but did not find him. The watchmen who make the rounds in the city found me. And I said, have you seen him whom my soul loves? Hardly have, had I left them when I found him, when I found him whom my soul loves. I held on to him and would not let him go until I had brought him to my mother's house and into the room of her who conceived me. The groom, swear to me, you daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, that you will not disturb or awaken my love until she pleases. Solomon's wedding day, the bride. When is this coming up from the, or what is this coming up from wilderness? Like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the scented pow powders of the merchant. The chorus. Behold, it is the traveling couch of Solomon. The warriors around it, of the warriors of Israel, of all, all of them, are wielders of the sword, expert in war. Each man has his sword at his side, guarding against the terrors of the night. King Solomon has made for himself a Satan chair. Satan in the footnotes, i.e. an elegant throne with poles carried by servants. From the timber of Lebanon, he made its posts with, uh, of silver its back of gold, and its seat of purple fabric, with its interior lovingly inlaid. Of, of Jerusalem, go out, you daughters of Zion, and look at King Solomon with the crown with which his mother has crowned him, on the day of his wedding, and on the day of the joy of his heart. Solomon, chapter, Song of Solomon, chapter 4. Solomon's love expressed. How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats 
that have descended from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn sheep, which have come up from their watering place, all of which bear twins, and none, not one of them, not one among them have lost their young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is beautiful. Your temples are a slice of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David. I got to say, you know, I mean, I've never heard anybody like, you know, like any kind of romantic poem or song, you know, or secular song likening their lover's neck to the Tower of David. That's original. That's original. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with layers of stones on which are hung a thousand shields. All around, all the round shields uh, shields of the warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, that graze among the lilies until the cool of the day when the shadows flee. I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there is no blemish on you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. You shall come with me from Lebanon. You shall come down from the summit of Amana, from the summit of Sainir and Hermon from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You have enchanted my heart, my sister, my bride. You have enchanted my heart with a single glance of your eyes, with a, th- with a single strand of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much sweeter is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than that of all kinds of balsam oils. Your lips drip honey, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. And the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A locked garden is my sister, my bride. A locked spring, a sealed fountain. Your branches are an orchard of pomegranates with delicious fruits, henna and nard plants. Nard and saffron or saffron. Spice reed and cinnamon with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, along with all the finest balsam oils. You are a garden spring, a well of fresh water, a flowing streams and flowing streams from Lebanon. The bride. Awake, north wind, and come, wind of the south. Make my garden breathe out fragrance. May its balsam oils flow. And may my beloved come into his garden and eat its delicious fruits. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. The torment of separation. The groom. 
I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh along with my balsam. I have eaten my honeycomb, my honey. I have drunk my wine with my with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and drink deeply, lovers. The bride. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice. My beloved was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the dew drops of the night. I have taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How how can I dirty them? My beloved extended his hand through the opening, and my feelings were stirred for him. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, and my fingers with drops of myrrh on the handles of the bolt. Open to my beloved, and my beloved, excuse me, but my beloved had turned away and had gone. My heart went out to him as he spoke. I searched for him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he did not answer me. The watchman who make the rounds in the city found me. They struck me and wounded me. The guards of the walls took my shawl away from me. Swear to me, you daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, as to what you will tell him, for I am lovesick. The chorus. What kind of beloved is your beloved? A most beautiful, almost beautiful among women? What kind of beloved is your beloved that you make us swear in this way? Admiration by the bride. The bride. My beloved is, a, is dazzling and reddish, outstanding among 10,000. His head is like gold, pure gold. His are like clusters of dates and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, and perched in their setting. His cheeks are like a bed of balsam, banks of herbal spices. His lips are lilies dripping with drops of myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with topaz. His abdomen is panels of ivory covered with sapphires. His thighs are pillars of alabaster set on pedestals of pure gold. His appearance is is like Lebanon choice eaters. His mouth is full of sweetness. And he is wholly desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend, you daughters of Jerusalem. Song of Solomon, chapter 6. Mutual delight in each other. The chorus. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? The bride. My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of balsam to pasture his flock in the gardens and gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved's mine. 
He who pastures his flock among the lilies. The groom. You are as beautiful as Tirzah, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as awesome as an army with banners. Turn your eyes away from me, for they have confused me. Your hair is like a flock of goats that have descended from your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from their watering place, all of which bear twins. And none, or not one, among them has lost her young. Your temples are like a slice of a pomegranate behind your veil. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and young women without number, but my dove, my perfect one, is unique. She is her mother's only daughter. She is the pure child of one who gave to her. The young, woman, the young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and, and the concubines also, they praised her, saying, Who is this who looks down like the dawn, as well as the full moon, as pure as the sun, as awesome as an army with banners? I went down to the orchard of nut trees to see the plants of the valley, to see whether it, the vine had grown or the pomegranates had bloomed. Before I was aware, my soul set me over the chariots of my noble people. The chorus, come back, come back, O Shulamite, come back, come back, so that we may look at you. The groom, why should you look at the Shulamite as at, a, as at the dance of the two armies? Song of Solomon, chapter 7. Admiration by the groom. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, prince's daughter. The curves of your hips are like jewels. The work of the hands of an artist. Your navel is like a round goblet that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is like a heap of wheat surrounded with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like the tower, a tower of ivory. Your eyes like the pools of, in Heshbon. By the gate of Beth Rabin. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel, and the flowing hair of your head is like the purple threads. The king is captivated by your tr tresses. How beautiful and how delightful you are, my love with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your, your breasts are like its clusters. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will grasp its fruit stalks. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the fragrance of 
your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. The bride. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, flowing gently through the lips of those who are asleep. The union of, of love. I am my beloved's and his desires for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the country. Let's go out to the country. Let's spend the night in the villages. Let's arise, let's rise early and go to the vineyards. Let's see whether the vine has grown and its buds have opened, and whether the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes have given forth fragrance, and over our doors all are all delicious fruits, new as well as old, which I have saved for you, my beloved. Song of Solomon, chapter 8. The lovers speak. The lovers speak. Oh, that you were like a brother to me, who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I found you outdoors, I would kiss you. No one would despise me either. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, who used, who used to instruct me. I would give you spiced wine to drink from the juice of my pomegranates. Let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. The groom. Swear to me, you daughters of Jerusalem, do not disturb or awaken my love until she pleases. The chorus. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? The bride. Beneath the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother went into labor with you. There she was in labor and gave birth to you. Put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as severe as Sheol, or the grave. Its flames are flames of fire. The flames of the Lord. The flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers flood over it. If a man were to give all this of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. The chorus. We have a little sister, and... She has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her the, a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will barricade her with planks of cedar. The bride. I was a wall and my breasts were like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He entrusted the, the vineyard to caretakers. Each one was to bring a thousand shekels of silver for its fruit. My very own vineyard is at my disposal. 
The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and 200 of those are for those who take care of its fruit. The groom, you who sit in the gardens, my companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear it. The bride, hurry, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of balsam trees. And that concludes our reading for of Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs. We're going to get into now a little bit of Proverbs, and after that, a little bit of the Wisdom of Solomon. Very interesting. It's part of the um, uh, so-called Apocrypha. Uh, and um, the Odes of Solomon as well. Over there on TikTok, it says, I'm lagging. I'm lagging on TikTok. Thank you for letting me know that. If it's too bad, I'll just shut it off. Just let me know. Byron says, I've been constantly dreaming of people trying to attack me with weapons, people that I've been, that I have bad history with. Maybe God's warning me. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he is. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I would, uh, I would, I would take that uh, seriously for sure. Byron says, in my dream, they are breaking into my house every time I've been praying for protection. Has me on edge. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, the Lord protect you, protect you, um, and give you spiritual, give you insight into uh, what exactly that is all about, what that means. Um, you said, you said you've been constantly having those kind of dreams. So that's, um, that's a sign, like because you know you see that in the scriptures where you have like recurring dreams, even if it's just twice, uh, it is significant. And I wouldn't say, I wouldn't necessarily say that it would be literal, although, I mean, it's possible, but usually dreams or visions are always figurative. Yes, the Lord give you wisdom and protection in that. Uh, Brick Train says, uh, does anyone else think that the Song of Solomon is an analogy between God and Israel? Not sure if you were with us at the very beginning, uh, Brick Train, but I went through a little bit of the little bit of that and uh typically that's a jewish that's a jewish perspective that it is uh between god and israel um i do i do believe that this whole allegory thing is is just an attempt to try to justify its in inclusion within the canon um that's what i that's how i see it um so your question is if not should it even be in the Bible. I would take it one step further, as a lot of you know, I would say, should there even be a Bible? We should have books separately. Again, Bible canon is so... The more and more I see it, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I meditate on it, the more and more I, I see what God is, is showing us here. I believe Bible canon is like one of the worst things that's ever hit, that's ever happened to Christianity or even Judaism for that matter. Um, because Bible canon is not biblical. It's not God. It's man. It, it's God's will for, for each of us to study each one of the books of the Bible, plus the extra biblical books, to study each book individually for what they really are. And, and, and view them as they really are. Individual books 
written by individual authors at different times, and in, in many cases, in different cultures, meaning different things. And so Bible canon is one of the worst things in all the, the things that we come across in, in, in reading through the scriptures. I believe the, the bottom line for all of heresy, the bottom line for all of error within the church, heresy within the church, false doctrines, it's all because of Bible canon. Because they're trying to justify one thing or another. They're trying to, well, Paul's got to be perfect because he's in the Bible. Well, who even told him to make, who he even told anybody to put a, put a Bible together? Well, the wisdom of Solomon, which we're going to get to, Lord willing, in just a matter of minutes. Well, that's not right because that's not in the Bible. Well, <laughs> who said, I mean, who even said there's supposed to be a Bible? We're supposed to read each book just like Jesus did, right? In the, in the days of Jesus, each book was kept separately with few exceptions. I mean, like they had some combined in one, like some of the minor prophets or uh, the Torah scroll. I believe that would be probably all combined in one. But typically speaking, I mean, for the most part, it'd be separate scrolls. Uh, th those were the 24 books, right? Which are divided up into 39 books now. It's the same. It's the same exactly the same material. The 24 books of the ancient Tanakh is the 39 books of the Old Testament. But again, the Bible canon is horrific. I, I don't think it's, it's, it's one of the worst things that's ever happened to, to mankind. Nobody, it was a bad idea. And from what I understand, for the most part, it began with the son of Satan, Marcion. It began with the son of Satan Marcion. So when Bible canon starts on the wrong note, it should it should be it should end right there, but it didn't. Byron says, I've had it about four times now, the same dream. Wow. Yeah. Um I think I if I can remember correctly, I we we spoke about this before. Um keeping a a dream journal. You know, write it down, write down every date that you have it if you you know if you haven't already like write down every date that you have that dream and keep it in your uh keep it in your notes and if there's a situation that arises in the future and you you know maybe maybe you know god would bring this to your to your mind like remember that dream you know take heed take heed as it says in numbers chapter 12 you know god speaks to us in dreams Going nowhere is wisdom of Solomon in Catholic Bibles. I do. Let me just go, let me just double check here. I do believe Catholic and Orthodox, but let me just go on to Bible. It's always Bible canon, you know. I mean, Bible canon is a big deal. I like the days I I actually studied Bible canon. I'm like, okay, I want to know why did they put certain books in the Bible? Why did they leave certain books out? And quite honestly. There is no good answer. There is no good answer. Like, why did they? Why? Why did they put? You know, uh, why does the New Testament have the twenty-seven books that it has? Well, it's because you know it was the closest people to Jesus. Well, Paul wasn't that close to Jesus. Why did they put him in there? Okay, so the wisdom of Solomon is in 
the Apocrypha of the Lutheran and the Apocrypha of the Anglican Bible canons, and it is in the Roman Catholic Bible. It's also in the Greek Orthodox Bible. It's also in the Slavonic Orthodox Bible, the Georgian Orthodox, the Armenian Apostolic, the Syriac Orthodox, the Coptic Orthodox, the the Orthodox, the Tawahedo Orthodox, the Assyrian Church of the East, and the Ancient Church of the East. Since we're talking about the wisdom of Solomon, let's talk a little bit more about that, and we'll read that first. Since we're on that, we're on that subject right now. The wisdom of Solomon. Um, it was okay. It's in it's in the Septuagint. That's one thing. I mean, it's in the Septuagint, uh, and so it is. It was considered to be authentic scripture by many people. Uh, Melito of Sardis is one. Uh, St. Augustine is another. Pope Innocent I is another one. Uh, So those three would have been within the first five centuries. Uh, You know, they, they, they classified the wisdom of Solomon as authentic Holy scripture. Um, Athanasius also uh well Athanasius one of the early church fathers as well he he said he kind of leaned away from the wisdom of Solomon saying that it's not you know really quote unquote canonical but it should be read you know uh by you know by the early church fathers and read into the churches basically it should be read and known by by the believers by christians uh many other people as well uh considered the wisdom of solomon to be authentic holy scripture epiphanius um of salmonis uh we have rufinus of uh aquilia um the wisdom of Solomon was also listed as canonical by uh, many of the church councils throughout the ages. The Council of Rome, the, Count, the Synod of Hippo, the Council of Carthage the, uh, the, uh, in three, 397 AD, and the Council of Carthage in 419 AD, the Council of Florence in 1442 AD, and the Council of Trent in 1540. 46. So we have a great amount of uh, of believers and Christians and early church fathers who considered to the, the wisdom of Solomon to be authentic, holy scripture that should be considered right alongside all the other books of holy scripture. Um, and another thing, too, very interesting is a lot of people believe that Paul got his armor of God teaching uh, from the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, The wisdom of Solomon coupled with uh, Isaiah chapter 59, uh, really that's kind of how Paul kind of put his armor of God kind of thing together with his own little twist on it. Uh, so, uh, as usual, I mean, Paul, you he, he, he can hardly find a, a passage of scripture that Paul quotes or refers to that he does so accurately. But um, wisdom of Solomon, let me just give you, a, I'll give you just a little uh, appetizer here before we get into it. 
talking about the armor of God, the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, for those of you who are on tick or on YouTube, excuse me, right now, I am streaming live on YouTube. If you're on YouTube, you see I'm sharing my screen right now. If you're on TikTok, you want to see you want to see what I'm doing on YouTube, sharing my screen. The link is in the bio. Uh, my link to my YouTube channel is in my bio. Just click on that or tap tap on that, or just go over to YouTube, search for Christopher Enoch. I am live there right now. So this is Wisdom of Solomon, chapter five. I'll start with verse fifteen. Um, Wisdom of Solomon, chapter five, verse fifteen. But the righteous live on forever. The Lord will reward them. The Most High will protect them. He will give them royal splendor and a magnificent crown. He will shield them with his powerful arm. This is as we start getting into like almost like the armor of God kind of uh, narrative here. We got shield, shield them with his powerful arm. He will go out into battle determined to defeat his enemies and use the creation itself as a weapon. Righteousness will be his armor. Genuine justice will be his helmet. Holiness will be his invincible shield. He will sharpen his stern anger into a sword and the forces of nature will join him in battle against those who are foolish enough to oppose him. Bolts of lightning will strike right on target, as if the Lord had made a bow out of the clouds and was shooting arrows. Okay, I'll, I'll stop right there. Mix that, kind of, kind of take that, because that's that's got you know the idea of the armor of God is right there, um, and mix that with Isaiah chapter fifty nine. Um, there it is right there. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 16. He saw that there was no one. Okay, let me just start up here. In the last half of verse 15. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one and, he, and was appalled that there was no one to intervene. His own arm achieved salvation for him. See, it sounds very much like the, or the wisdom of Solomon, excuse me. And his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak, as in a cloak. And according to what they have done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay islands their due. Okay, um, so the idea is that Paul got his armor of God narrative, mixing those two together. You got the idea from, you got the armor of God idea from Wisdom of Solomon and from uh, the uh, Isaiah chapter 59 as well, kind of a hybrid. On TikTok, I heard shooting arrows. Are we talking babble? No, very interesting that you brought that up because I understand, yeah, that that is part of the, uh, as part of the story, right? As part of the untold story of the uh, the uh, Babel and the, the tower and the city, uh, and uh, shooting arrows up to heaven, yeah. So, no, but we're talking about uh, right now. We're going through the the writings of Solomon. So, uh, 
Proverbs. Uh, we're going to read a few a few chapters of Proverbs, a, re, a few chapters from the Wisdom of Solomon, and also a few chapters from the Odes of Solomon. Very interesting. Very interesting. So uh, let's get on to the Wisdom of Solomon. We will read two chapters from the Wisdom of Solomon. Now, as I read this, I mean, really, I mean, this is right in line with the rest of Scripture. Why the Protestants print Bibles without it, I don't know. Well, I do know, but I mean, their 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 reason is doesn't hold water. It really doesn't hold water. So, anyway, Wisdom of Solomon, Chapter One. Wisdom of Solomon, Chapter One. Now, as I read this, I mean, th- you know. Think about it. It's 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 just it's so good. This stuff is just really really good stuff. Verse one: Love justice, you rulers of the world. Set your minds sincerely on the Lord, and look for Him with all honesty. Those who didn't do not try do not try to test Him will find Him. He will show Himself to those who trust Him. Dishonest thoughts separate people from God. And if we are foolish enough to test him, his power will put us to shame. Wisdom will never be at home with anyone who is deceitful or a slave of sin. Everyone who is holy has learned to stay away from deceitful people. He who will... He will not stay around the foolish thought, or excuse me, he will not stay around when foolish thoughts are being expressed. He will not feel comfortable when injustice is done. God is aware of what we say. Reminds me of Yeshua, right? He said, every word that we speak will be held, uh, it will either, you know, commend us or condemn us on the day of judgment powerful teaching from Jesus. Let's get on here. This is uh, wisdom, wisdom of Solomon, chapter one, verse six. Wisdom is a spirit that is friendly to people, but she will not forgive anyone who speaks against God. For God knows our feelings and thoughts and hears our every word. Since the Lord's spirit fills the entire world and holds everything in it together, She knows every word that people say. No one who speaks wickedly will escape notice. Sooner or later, he will receive just punishment. This is is pretty much in line with what Yeshua said about how every word will be held against man. Verse 9. The intentions of the ungodly people will be closely examined. Their words will be reported to the Lord. See, this is this goes right in line with what it says in the book of Enoch about the watchers, about the witnesses. Uh, and also we have that in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. We have the great cloud of witnesses. For those of you who are uh, not familiar with this concept, God, he operates... Order. He's got an order to him to hit to the to his ways, uh, and come judgment day, he's got an order to his court. There needs to be witnesses, as he himself said. Let 
everything be established upon two or three witnesses. You know, you need at least two or three witnesses to 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 establish any anything, any any concept, any judgment, whatever the case is. And so these witnesses are his angels and the spirits of just men made perfect, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Now let's just let's just pull that up here. Um, because I'm referring this, referring to this so much. Uh, and this is a very interesting concept. I think everybody should know this. You are being watched. You are being recorded. The heavenly camcorder, the heavenly camcorders are rolling. Okay, they're rolling. You notice how many, like, talking about let everything be established on two or three witnesses, uh, the testimony of two or three witnesses. You know, again, you had a lot of people who, you know, they 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 clinically die and they come back to talk about it. Um, and they talk about the witnesses, right? They talk about angels um, that watch them do what they do. You do what's right. You obey God. You make the angels happy. Even even Jesus said that, right? One soul that repents, one man, one person, one woman, one child that repents causes a party in heaven. The angels of God throw a party. That's what we're all about, right? We want to we want to have the most parties on record, don't we? We want to have the most parties on record. We want to have at our account the greatest list of parties, heavenly parties, thrown by the angels that anybody else has ever seen. And we can do that by calling people to repent, to turn from their sin, sin as defined in the scripture, in the in the law, right? First John 3, 4, sin is transgression of the law. Turn from that. Stop transgressing the law. Turn to God. And guess what's going to happen? Party time. Party time. But there are witnesses that are watching us. And you know, when people pass away, a lot of times when people when people pass away, they see the, you know, you always hear this where their life flashes before them, or they see like as if it's a big screen and their life is played from the time, you know, they're in their mother's womb pretty much all the way until the time when they when they clinically die. Their whole life is is shown to them. How can that be? The heavenly camcorder is rolling. The heavenly Video camera is rolling. The witnesses are doing their job. The angels are taking video. Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we are we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. What is this great cloud of witnesses? It will tell us here just in a few minutes, but the book of, the book of Enoch also tells, and I believe that's what the author of the book of Hebrews got this from, is from the book of Enoch. Enoch calls it the watchers, but I mean, watchers, witnesses, same thing, same difference. The watchers are the angels, and according to Hebrews here, it's more than just the angels. We'll get to that. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. 
for the joy set before him, the joy. We've got a lot of these churches today at Easter. They always say, well, let's, let's have a moment of silence for what Jesus went through at the cross. You know, I've, I've, I've heard it. I, my, I cringe when I hear that. It's like, what moment of silence? When you don't, you're not supposed to feel sorrowful. Not like, like, like Satan influenced Peter to like, God forbid that you, you know, for, forbid uh, you Lord to go to the cross. Oh no, that's, that's horrible. That's a horrible thing. What did Jesus say to that? Get behind me, Satan. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. So see, he wasn't a friend of sinners. He, he, uh, he, he was a friend of ex-sinners. Uh, and uh, the ones who really opposed him, those were the sinners. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses a son, saying, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. For you are not dis for if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have had human fathers who had who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? This is a another term that's taken from the book of Enoch. Father of spirits, let uh, they disciplined us for a while while they while they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, how, uh, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be dis disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See, it, does, it doesn't say without, without saying the sinner's prayer, no one will ever see the Lord. Without accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, no, no, it says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights. Uh, as the oldest son afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears. He could not change what he had done. In other translations, it could find no repentance. Right? It doesn't matter if you cried. That doesn't mean you repent. 
doesn't matter if you're sorry. That doesn't mean you repent. It's changing is what means everything. That's what, that's what repentance is all about. Verse 18. Here it is, guys. Here it is. These next couple paragraphs. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. This is speaking, um, referring to Sinai, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such as, uh, as such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come here. Here are the great witnesses right here. Great witnesses. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that bears or that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So, we have a great cloud of witnesses watching us at all times. Angels, spirits of just the righteous made perfect. Jesus. It's all reported. Uh, we are we are being witnessed. Back to the uh, wisdom of Solomon, chapter one, verse nine. The intentions of ungodly people will be closely examined. Their words will be reported to the Lord. Once again, like if the Lord heard everything, why would it, why would they need to report it to the Lord? If the Lord knew everything, why would he say in Genesis chapter 18 that he needs to go see if the prayers of the people um, are true about Sodom and Gomorrah? Their words will be reported to the Lord. And and then they will get the punishment that their wickedness deserves, i.e. we see that in, you know, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah right there. Verse 10, God will tolerate no challenge. And since he hears everything, you can hide your complaining from him. So be sure that you do not go around complaining. It does no good. And don't engage in bitter talk. Most secret things you say will have their consequences. And lying will destroy your soul. The most secret things you say will have their consequences. Again, this is, reminds me of what Yeshua taught, right? Yeshua said, Jesus said, if you... If you speak a word in in secret, it will be proclaimed from the housetop. There's nothing that will that's hidden that will not be made known. Uh, so we got on TikTok there. We have a good word you are preaching. Thank you very much. 
I appreciate that. Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 12. Do not bring on your own death by sinful actions. Can you imagine? See, this is very much, very much like um, Proverbs. I, I, get, I don't have this prepared, but uh, die before your time, right? Where it says that in Proverbs. No, let me just hold it here and see. You know, it says, why die before your time? Trying to think here where, oh, you know what? I think I might have had it there. Uh, sorry, not pro- not Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, right? It says, do, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 17, do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? So that's very much in line with the wisdom of Solomon. So if Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon and the wisdom of Solomon written by Solomon, you see it's very, very, very similar. Do not bring it on your own death by sinful actions, just like how it says, do not be over wicked, uh, do not be a fool, why die before your time? So, I mean, God has an appointed time for us to die, but it is possible to die before our time by being foolish and sinful. You do things that are sinful, it will take, it will shave years off your life. Verse 13, God did not it says here, God did not invent death, and when the living creatures, when living creatures die, it gives him no pleasure. Verse 14. He created everything so that it might continue to exist. And everything he created is wholesome and good. There is no deadly poison in them. No, death does not rule this world, for God's justice does not die. Ungodly people have brought death on themselves by the things that they have said and done. This again, this reminds me of where it says in Proverbs, right? The power of life and death are in the the are in the tongue, right? The power of life and death are in the tongue. And here it says in the wisdom of Solomon, one sixteen, ungodly people have brought death upon themselves by the things they have said and done. They yearn for death as if as if it were a lover. Yeah, and there are people like this. I know this. People who love death. Uh, they have gone into partnership with death. It's just what they deserve. It is just what they deserve. Uh, Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 2. Wicked thinking. Wicked people are wrong when they say to themselves, our life is short and full of sorrow. And when it when its end comes, there is no escape. No one has ever seen, or excuse me, no one has ever been known to come back from the world of the dead. We were born by chance, and, and after life is over, we will be as if we have, had never been born at all. Our breath is no more than a puff of smoke. Our mind is nothing more than a spark thrown off by beat by the by the beating of our heart As spark dies our body will crumble is and our breath will become part of the empty air in time no one will remember anything we ever did and even our names will be will be forgotten our lives will pass away like the traces of clouds and vanish like fog in the heat of the sun our time on earth is like a passing shadow there is no escape from the day of our death. It is fixed. 
and no one can postpone it. Unquote. Remember, this is a quote. It says here that the wicked, the wicked say that, and they are wrong in saying that. Verse 6, they say, quote, Come on, then, let's enjoy the good things of life and live in this world that we may, that, uh, that the way we did when we were young and free of care. Let's drink the most expensive wines and use the finest perfumes. Let's not miss a single flower in the springtime. Therefore, the roses wither. Or excuse me, before the, the roses wither, let's pick them and wear them in our hair. Let's all join in and leave signs everywhere of our carefree revelry. Life owes us that much. We'll oppress the poor, even if they are righteous. We'll, we'll show no respect for widows or old people. We'll call, doesn't this sound like a lot of people today? The young generation today? We'll call ourselves right, even... Excuse me. We'll call ourselves right if we are strong enough to get what we want. No one ever got anywhere by being weak. Righteous people are nothing but a nuisance. So let's look for chances to get rid of them. They are against what we do. They accuse us of breaking the law of Moses and violating the traditions of our ancestors. They claim to know God, and they call themselves the Lord's children. We can't stand the sight of people like that. What they are contradicts our, our whole way of thinking. They are not like other people. They have strange ways. They think that our moral standards are so corrupt that everything we do should be avoided. <laughs> and everything we do should be avoided. They boast of having God as their father and believe that when all is said and done, only the righteous will be happy. But we'll see if that's true. Let's see what will happen when, it, when it's time for them to die. If the righteous really are God's children, God will save them from their enemies. So let's put them to the test. We'll be cruel to them and torment them. And we'll find out how calm and reasonable they are. We'll find out just how much they can stand. We'll condemn them to a shame death. After all, they say that God will protect them. That is how people think, but they are wrong. They are blinded by their own wickedness. They have never known God's secrets, never hoped for the rewards of a holy and blameless life. When God created us, he did not intend for us to die. He made us like himself. It was the devil's jealousy that brought death into the world. And those who belong to the devil are the ones who will die. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing, amazing, amazing. That's amazing. Yes.
So we got someone here on TikTok says, my internet keeps going out. I apologize for that. Uh, if you're interested over there on TikTok, if you're interested in joining, I don't think I don't think there's a problem on YouTube right now. I'm live on YouTube right now simultaneously. So if uh, if you like, I'm, I'm sure you'll like it better because I can I can do I can share my screen. I have been sharing my screen over there. Just go over to YouTube and um, and look for me over there. I'm live right now on YouTube on my channel on YouTube. The brick train says, do not test the Lord, your God. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We have um, Fatima on Podbean says, hi, hello, welcome, welcome. I am live streaming on several different platforms right now. I'm live streaming on TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, DLive, Podbean. If you want to see, for those of you who are on uh, Podbean right now, if you're listening to this, uh, if you want to see me, if you want to see what I'm doing, and if you want to see, I, I am sharing my screen from, uh, intermittently here and reading some interesting stuff. If you're interested in joining me, just go on over to YouTube, search for Christopher Enoch, Christopher Enoch on YouTube. You'll find me there right now. And, and thank you for the likes over there on Podbean as well. Thank you for the likes, uh, Fatima. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so if you if you're interested in seeing all you're interested in seeing me, at least seeing what I'm doing, reading what I'm what I'm reading, go on over to YouTube, look me up over there, Christopher Enoch. Christopher Enoch. Um, okay, I don't want to get too far off a of subject here. Jamie asked a question though here. I want to talk about this. Um there are some topics that I cannot touch on because of it being so vast. I cannot really get into it. But here's a, here's a question. Jamie says, do all the Antinician fathers, or why do all the Antinician fathers taught by the apostles, well, not all of them are taught by the apostles, a couple of them at most, uh, teach keeping the feasts, but they, but they teach, but they teach to keep the commandments. One taught by John himself, one Paul, etc. By the way, Paul's disciple was supposed to be Marcion, the son of the devil. Um, and yet they say, obey Jesus, but not the feasts. Okay, so when reading, you see, this is, this is a thing. We see this all the way from the, the Garden of Eden. All it takes is for, it doesn't take long at all. Days, maybe hours. I mean, it doesn't take long at all for corruption to set in. You got to take it with a grain of salt. And when it comes to the Antinician fathers, there's a lot of good things they say, but there's a lot of things that they say that's wrong. You got to take it with a, with a grain of salt, more than a grain of salt. When it comes to the Antinician fathers, you got to take it with a grain of salt and another grain of salt and a lot more. In the Garden of Eden, it says basically God just walked away for a little bit. And that's all it took for corruption to set. It a long time at all. Um, on the, you know, when Moses went up Mount Sinai, it was a matter of, I don't know, perhaps hours, perhaps minutes. We know it, it happened certainly less than 40 days. They were all corrupt. They were corrupt by the time he came back down. It didn't take long, very fast. It's like how it's like how fast can a piece of food go bad? I mean, it can go bad within a few hours or you know a few days at least. 
you see that as well. Um, and, uh, you know, in the time of Yeshua as well, we got Yeshua. He taught his, you got Jesus taught the 12 disciples. Now, church historian Hagisippus, he recorded, which makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I believe it. Uh, he recorded as soon as the 12 disciples were gone, as soon as they basically, they all died off, corruption hit the church massively. Okay, so um, it doesn't take long. It didn't take long for, you look at what happened when, uh, uh, another thing too, another, another, piece of, uh, another piece of evidence we have, like we have Moses, and then after Moses was Joshua. And after Joshua passed away, then we got the judges, okay? Look how, it wasn't long at all. After Joshua passed away, they fell into deep sin. They fell into deep error. And um, and so that's that's what we see throughout history from right from the very beginning. We see that in the Antinocene Fathers, too. I, I do think it's worth reading. I do think it's worth studying with that in mind, though. I mean, everything needs to be tested against the, the, the Tanakh, uh, especially the Torah. Everything needs to be tested, uh, just as the Bereans of Acts chapter 17 tested everything that Paul said. Interesting that Luke didn't write what the what their conclusion of the matter was, but at least they tested everything that Paul said. And that's a good thing. So um, I'm going to read from Proverbs, and then I'll get to the Odes of Solomon. The Odes of Solomon is very, very interesting because it's even more unknown than the wisdom of Solomon. But uh, yeah. Over there on TikTok, it says, speak, speak on the Trinity. If I got a quarter of a penny for every time I spoke on the Trinity, I think I'd be able to buy a mansion in the, you know, in, in, the, in the tropics right now. I mean, you know, I, I spoke on the, the Trinity many, many times. Um, and right now, I've, I've actually got a schedule that I'm on. Okay. So it, it, it's a topic that can, you know, I, you know. It's a topic that can they can get very deep. Um, I have spoken on all. I, I guess I don't know how many times. Perhaps even a hundred times. I don't know. It seems like a lot of time. A lot. I spoke on the Trinity. Those of you who have been um, watching my live streams all these many months, you know that I have been. Um, so I encourage you to uh, to check out my former videos. I got lots of stuff on uh, on YouTube about the Trinity. I got. I got some stuff as well on TikTok as well about the Trinity. Um, but right now I do have a schedule that I'm on. I need to read Proverbs 1, 2, 3, and the Odes of Solomon 1 through 4. Let's let's get that out of the way. Um, so, yeah, please, um, over there on TikTok, please, if you're interested, go and... Um, and... and uh, and check out my other videos. I see we got other questions as well. Bob McQuinn uh, asked a question. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but again, let's let's start with uh, let's read some of these um, these scriptures. Okay, Proverbs chapter one, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, 
justice, and integrity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion, a wise person will hear and increase in learning, and a person of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I, you guys know I have to stop for here for just a moment because many people, most of the people in the Western world, have no clue what the fear of the Lord is. Even churches, church leaders, Bible schools, they have no clue what the fear of the Lord is. They haven't even begun with the fear of the Lord, let alone begin with the beginning of knowledge. So without the fear of the Lord, there's, they haven't even begun to have the knowledge that God wants us to have, the beginning of knowledge. Once you get the fear of God in you, then you can say, okay, now I, now I can take baby steps in knowledge. Later on, it says later on in, in Proverbs as well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You haven't even begun to be wise. Or in other translations, you haven't even begun to be wise unless you have the fear of, of the Lord. Oh, there's so much talk about the love of the Lord, but hardly anything about the fear of the Lord. Hardly anything. Verse 8, listen, my son, to, to your father's instruction. And do not ignore your mother's teaching, for they are graceful, a graceful wreath for your head and necklaces for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us and lie in wait for blood. Let's ambush the innocent without cause. Let's swallow them alive like Sheol and like the grave, even whole. That's uh, like those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will we will fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us. We will all have one money bag. My son, do not walk on the way with them. Keep your feet on their path. Excuse me. Keep your feet from their path. Excuse me. For their feet run, run to evil. They are quick to shed blood. It is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who makes unjust gain. It takes away the life of the of, of its possessors. Wisdom is in the street. She raises her voice in the public square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she declares her sayings. Quote, How long, you naive ones, will you love simplistic thinking? Oh, how I'd love to just shout this at a lot of Christians today. Oh, 
how long, you naive ones, will you love simplistic thinking? And how long will scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? You know, there's a lot of Christians like this too. They hate knowledge. They say, well, God, you know, God just wants us to believe. He doesn't want us to really learn. He just wants us to believe. Really? God is the God of knowledge. Just as much as he's the God of faith. Verse 23, turn to my rebuke. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my advice and did not want my rebuke. I will also laugh at your disaster. I will mock when your dread comes. Dread comes like a storm and your disaster comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. Then they will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge. You see, God wants us to have knowledge. He wants us to learn. How many times did Yeshua say? How many times did Jesus say? Have you not read? Do you not know? Are you so dull? He said this to people all over. Like how many times? Have you not read? Don't you know? He is a God of knowledge. He wants us to study. He wants us to learn. As they say, live and learn. If you're not learning, you're not living. We got li- to learn every day. I mean, even as I go along, I'm learning. We got to learn. We got to learn. And, we, and again, we got to come to the table, not with, not with like an overly, like an arrogant, like pride was like, this is the truth. Well, let's, let's also couple that with the idea that, you know what? I could be wrong. If you can present evidence, convincing evidence that I'm wrong, then I'm going with that. I'm going with that because we're all still learning. We're all still learning. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Wow. By the way, guys, I, I got to say this. There's, there is, there's an old, you, ever, you, you guys ever hear of the, the old um, Christian band singers called the Maranatha singers? The Maranatha singers. They have a, a song. One of my favorite songs, I mean, actually, to be honest with you, when I first when I first got when I first started walking with God in 1992, when I really started walking with God seriously and studying the scriptures, one of the first albums I bought, Christian music, was the Maranatha Singers, 20 Years of Hope, it was called. I still have it hanging around here somewhere. Um, and it is um one of the songs on there really, really moved me, really inspired me. There's a song by the Maranatha singers called We Choose the Fear. It's an awesome song. We Choose the Fear. If you've never heard that song, put that on your list. Write it down. Take note of it. However you want to do it, listen to it sometime. We Choose the Fear by Maranatha singers. 
We choose the fear of the Lord. If you if you can't find it by, by, by searching, we choose the fear. Search for we choose the fear of the Lord by the Maranoth, Maranatha singers. It's an awesome song. Based upon this particular, uh, it was based upon this and, and other other uh, passages of scripture as well. But because they did not choose the fear, we it's something you have to choose. It's a choice you make. It's a decision you make. It's a decision you make. It's not something that you just experience. You have to choose the fear. We choose the fear of the Lord. Verse 30, and they did not accept my advice. They disdainfully rejected every rebuke from me. I can just imagine today. I mean, today, people, you, re, you, you get a, re, I mean, if you tell anybody they're sinning or whatever, it's like, oh, how dare you judge me? Or even more than that, you hate me. That's hate. Not according to Leviticus chapter 19, it's not. In fact, it says, you shall love your neighbor. You shall not suffer your neighbor to sin. In other words, rebuke him. Actually, it says right in there to rebuke him. Verse 31, so they, so they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and, and be filled with their own schemes. It reminds me of Romans chapter 1. You know, these people are just bent on perverted perversion. And God just says, okay, well, I'll just give, I'll give it. I'll give you over to a reprobate mind. Verse 32, so the faithfulness, excuse me, so for the faithlessness of the naive will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. But, but whoever listens to me will live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Hmm. Wow. Don't you want to be at ease from the dread of evil? Proverbs chapter 2. The pursuit of wisdom brings security. Talk about being at peace and being free from the dread of evil. Verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words, there's that condition, if you will receive my words, and treasure my commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry out for insight, have you ever cried out for insight? And raise your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, in other words, money, and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Wow. That's awesome. Beautiful. There's the prescription. There's the prescription for the fear of the Lord. First of all, you need to choose the fear of the Lord. Second of all, you need to do all this stuff here. Receive the words, treasure the commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Cry out for insight. Raise your voice for understanding. Seek her as silver, as money. Search for her as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. By the way, as you all know, 99.99% of all Christians, including pastors and church leaders and all the other 
church officials do not understand the fear of the Lord. And that's the truth. And discover the knowledge of God. Wow. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and his mouth, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and, and he watches over the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness, justice, and integrity, and every good path. You know, I know a lot of I know a lot of Christians who pray to to know like what God is trying to lead them to. And I know a lot of Christians who you know pray that God you know would show me what I'm supposed to do next, or you know give me a you know show me the path to go on. Well, you know what? Here's the prescription right here. You want to do it? Proverbs chapter two verses one through nine. There you go. Do all that, and then you'll get it. Then you'll see. Then the Lord will show you every good path. Verse 10, for wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be delightful to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you to rescue you from the way of evil, from a person who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways, to rescue you from the strange woman, from the foreign woman who flatters with her words, who leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. Or here to the departed spirits. None who go to her, none who go, excuse me, none who go to her return. Nor do they reach the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good people and keep the paths of righteous, of the righteous. What does that mean to keep the paths of the righteous? It means you know, walk in the, in the way they walk the same way they walk, live the same way they lived, live the lifestyle of the righteous, not the lifestyles of the rich and famous, but the lifestyles of the righteous and the holy. Verse 21, for the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. Remain in it. But the wicked will be eliminated from the land and the treacherous will be torn away from it. Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but have your heart comply with my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. How many? How many people? They 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 do. I know people that they 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 go to great lengths to try to you know live healthier and longer. Well, here it says here, all you gotta do is just comply with God's commandments. It says length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. 
Verse three, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and a good reputation in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he he will make your straight. Straight. The straight and narrow. Emphasis on the word straight. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Again, fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. It's like taking a tally here of the amount of times it says fear the Lord in in Proverbs. It's like taking a tally in Psalm uh, 119, how many times it says that the, the law of God is lovely and beautiful. Delightful. Verse 8, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, firstborn of your flocks and the first, the first, um, first fruits of your crops. Verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, nor loathe his rebuke. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. This is just what we were reading in Hebrews 12, right? I mean, hey, we got something going here tonight, guys. I mean, I wasn't planning on reading Hebrews 12 earlier, but here we have not Hebrews 12, but Proverbs 3, 12 saying the same thing as what Hebrews 12 says. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, just as a father disciplines his son in whom he delights. Blessed is a person who finds wisdom and one who obtains understanding, for her profit is better than the profit of silver and her produce better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Happy are those who hold on to her. The Lord founded the earth by wisdom. He established the the heavens by understanding. By his knowledge, the ocean depths were burst open and the clouds drip with dew. My son, see that they do not escape from your sight. Comply with sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your your sweet your, your, your excuse me. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden danger, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence. In the footnotes, be at your side. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord will be at your side. 
And will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it to you. When you have it with you, excuse me, I just I should rephrase that. When you say to, excuse me, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it to you when you have it with you. Do not cause harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Do not contend with a person for no reason. If he has done harm, that's a good one. I get a lot of people contending with me. Do not contend with a person for no reason if he has done you no harm. Do not envy a violent person and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He, though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the needy. Now, this is another place where in the original Hebrew, it, it also means he, um, he opposes the proud, basically. He gives, gives grace to the humble. To the needy, to the needy in spirit, to, the, to those who are humble. Verse 35, the wise will inherit honor, but fools will increase increase dishonor. Again, quickly just scan over some of your comments. I I won't be able to get to them all. There's a lot here already. I won't be be able to get to all your comments, but scan over some of them. And then we'll get to the odes of Solomon. The first, uh, from odes one, two, three, and four. So, Bob, let me just let me just address this in the meantime. Bob says, "Can you talk on how people twist God's words?" Yes, Bob. Thank you very much. Or, can you talk on how people twist Paul's words? Can you talk on how people twist Paul's words? Yes. So, um, well, you know what? To be honest with you. It depends on how you interpret Paul. If he is to be interpreted, let me just back up a bit. Let me just back up a step. I assume that you got you got that idea from Second Peter chapter three verses fifteen and sixteen, saying that people twist Paul's words, you know, to their own destruction. Okay. Um, so there's two ways of looking at it. Number one is the common traditional way, which is that Paul preaches against Torah. In Acts chapter 21, we see that, um, Paul was confronted by the, uh, by the rulers, by his authorities, over the matter of speaking against Torah, speaking against the traditions of the Jews, the customs of the Jews, he was confronted about that. Like, what's up with this, Paul? Like, this can't be right. You got to, I mean, so you take take the Nazarite vow. I mean, you know, we we advise you more or less to take the Nazarite vow, take the vow, 
so that people know that there's nothing to this, but you, you yourself, uh, you know, also keep the law. You walk in this, in, in the law, like you, it's, it's all about keeping Torah and that's what everybody should know. So, you know, basically that's what they're, what they're getting at. And so the, the, the highest level of, obe- of Torah obedience is the vow. That's the highest level. Commanding Paul to, or not command, they more or less advised Paul to do it. I mean, Paul, he could have said no if he, if he wanted to. Um, advising Paul to take the vow to prove that he's not speaking against Torah, that he's not telling people not that they, that they shouldn't be obeying God and shouldn't be obeying the law, shouldn't be you know, obeying Moses, so to speak. Um, Doing that is almost like saying, hey, you say you're not uh, afraid of heights? Okay, let's go uh, skydiving, okay? Let's go skydiving. I mean, the ultimate ultimate proof that you're not afraid of heights is skydiving. In the same way, the ultimate proof that you are obedient to Torah and you're not teaching anybody to disobey Torah is the vow. It's the vow, okay? Um, So... Let's just let's just let's just assume that Paul is not never did preach against the Torah. Everything's cool. He didn't he didn't say anything against Moses, against you know, against the law of God that come on Mount Sinai. So how do people twist Paul's words? Well, they say that he did actually preach against the law. That we're not saved by the law, we're saved by grace. So we don't have to obey the law. So the obedience to the law is not required. So that's how they twist Paul's words to destruction. Now, if, like I said, there's two ways of looking at it. If you got someone who believes that Paul did preach against the, the Torah, then they're not twisting Paul's words. They're actually taking him for what he actually said and not twisting it to make him say that he is um, teaching people to disobey Torah. Regardless of the fact, the way that people get on the road to destruction is through their lawlessness, their lawlessness, their anomianism, their antinomianism. Their polyanity. That's how they get on the road to destruction. Thank you very much, Bob, for asking that. Jordan says, Shalom all. Shalom, Jordan. Good to see you. Welcome. Blessings multiplied. I hope everything's good on um, with you, brother. Jordan says, I love Maranatha. We'll be sure to. Yeah, check it out, Jordan. Check out We Choose the Fear by Maranatha Singers. Back in 1992, July, I believe it's July. If not, it would be the early, early August, July of 1992. I can't, I will not forget that, listening to that song. And it just really, really blessed me. By the way, there are good songs are hard to come by, but that is a good song. I, I do have to say that is a good song, especially the lyrics. Well, the, the music's good too, but it's all good. 
Okay, lots and lots of comments here. Again, I'm sorry I can't get to all of it. Hawks. Welcome, Hawks. Good to see you. Says Shalom. Shalom, brother. Blessings. A wife and I spoke with our son and his girlfriend about the truth of the word slash law. I like the way how you put word slash law. It's good. Uh, they listened with interest and asked many questions. Very good. Very, very good. Looks good. Kingdom Concepts says, hey there. Hello. Blessings and welcome. This, you know, it's interesting you say this kingdom, kingdom concepts because I've heard like a lot of people do believe this, that he was not a Pharisee of Pharisees. Um, and for many reasons, too. So your, your, uh, your comment here in the live chat is um, Paul was not a Pharisee of Pharisees unless he deliberately misquoted the he Hebrew Bible, I suppose that, would, that is, and messed with it. Uh, otherwise, he was incredibly unlearned. <laughs> um, yeah, very good point. Like, there's many different, many different um, points to that, because uh, like, and that's that's a good point that people don't believe that he was even a Pharisee, let alone a Pharisee of Pharisees, um, because of like that's one thing. Like he he like when did he ever quote the Hebrew Bible properly? Like, seriously, when did he ever quote the Hebrew Bible properly? He, he, he quoted from the, from the Septuagint, at least he attempted to. Even then, I mean, most of the time he got that wrong too. But it was obvious, it was obvious that he quoted from the Septuagint more than the Hebrew, for sure. But if he was a Pharisee, and so much of a Jew as he claimed to be, or at least... You know, you got like Philippians that, or other other places that would that he would claim to be like that. If that's the truth, um, why would he not be quoting from the Hebrew? Why would he not? And the way he mentions, the way he interprets the word seed versus seeds in Galatians, it, it's like Hebrew people, like people who know Hebrew today, look at that and they're like, this guy doesn't know a thing about, about Hebrew because or else you wouldn't say that because there's no such thing as Zerim seeds in, you know, regarding when you, when you refer to descendants, it's always seed. It's always singular. Even when it's, it's, it's like sheep, right? Sheep is, is always like singular. It could be plural. It, it could mean many, but it, it's always sheep. It's never sheeps. Um, not only that, but as a Pharisee, if he did what he what he claimed that he did, right, like um, pros, you know, persecute um, the Christians unto their death, like is that Pharisees today? We have Pharisees today. They look at that and they're like, that's not being a Pharisee. That's not what you're supposed to do as a Pharisee. I mean, what law, what part of the Torah tells you to, to do that to Christians? And there's a lot of good points of people who say that Paul either, you know, was not a Pharisee at all or wasn't a Pharisee of Pharisees, or if he was a Pharisee, he wasn't a very educated one. Tammy. Tammy says, I have a group of people listening to you here, and this question was asked the other day from the group NIV, Daniel chapter 12, verse 7, the power of the holy people is finally broken. What does this mean? 
And so, first of all, welcome and blessings. Blessings, blessings multiplied, you guys. Great to see you guys. Uh, so let's let's just quickly jump on over to Daniel chapter 12, verse, verse 7, and we'll read it. Um, we'll deal with that. Daniel chapter 12. You know, let's let's just read from verse one and we'll read all we'll we'll read all the way through to verse seven. Perhaps even more. Let's see what we got here. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, or it would be Mikael, Mikael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. It's the resurrection. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise... Uh, in the footnotes, it says, who, who impart wisdom will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Hey, you want to be a star in heaven? You want to be a star? Lead many to righteousness, right? We got a lot of stars on earth, right? Earthly stars. Let's... Uh, Let's aim to be a star in heaven, right? All of us, you guys, all of us, be stars in heaven. How do we do that? Lead many to righteousness. Verse 4, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood before, before me, Excuse me. There before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the firmament, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? So, let's just stop here for a second. These, these are angels, right? Angels he's talking about. So, verse 7 the man clothed in linen, that's an angel. You always have angels. Uh, when you got men that are clothed in linen like this, this is always uh, indicative of angels. We see that as well in Ezekiel chapter 9, speaking of the mark of God in the foreheads of people. Then the man, the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time times and half a time when the power of the holy people has been finally broken all these things will be completed so now we got a footnote or a year two years and half a year so let us let's take this very same passage and let's look at it in the um first of all let's look, look at it in the septuagint In the Septuagint, 
Um, which is, by the way, the Septuagint is the Bible, or so you know, the scriptures anyway, that that the um the New Testament believers used, the early church fathers used the Septuagint. We know that many of the Christians in the early years, in the early centuries, used the Septuagint as their scriptures. This, this is what they used. So according to the Septuagint, by the way, for those of you who are um, wondering why I go to the Septuagint and the history of the Septuagint, the Septuagint is a lot more, um, is a lot older than the typical Hebrew text. You see, like most Hebrew, most English Bibles that we have today is translated, especially the so-called Old Testament, is translated from the ancient Hebrew text. That text is called the Masoretic text. The Masoretic text is not very old. I mean, they say, you know, it, it was really, uh, yeah, concretized, if you want to use that word, if it was really solidified um, in around 900 to 1000 AD. Like it's not that old. It's like almost a thousand years after Jesus was, he was even alive or he on earth is what I mean. Walking on earth. Um, so the Mesoretic text is a lot of time that has elapsed from the time of the original manuscripts, or the original books and the, or the scrolls that were written by the by the prophets, to the time that it, they finally had it, there's so much room for corruption, so much room for mistakes, so much room for additions and subtractions out of the. And they did that. Oh, they did that. Scribes did that. Uh, so much. Um, so going back in time. Use the Septuagint. I got a hard copy here of the Septuagint. Uh, this is the Septuagint with Apocrypha by Brenton. There are a couple different kinds of Septuagints. Is there NETS? I believe it is the NETS Septuagint as well. That is also pretty good. Uh, there's the Brenton Septuagint. So, um, going back in the Septuagint, you are you are skipping like over like a thousand years of possible corruption and changes in manuscripts. You're going back to, well, the, um, for example, the Torah of the Septuagint, the first five books of the Bible, um, Genesis to, De to Deuteronomy, that was all translated from the ancient Hebrew into Greek about 250 BC. So it's like, like, like some of this Septuagint is like, 2200 years old um way older than the re than the uh, regular uh, manuscripts that they use today for english bibles uh after the uh, first five books were translated then they they translated the other books such as the book of uh, daniel and uh, the other prophets and so on and so forth but the the septuagint is where we should actually look uh, when we have any, like we say, okay, there's, there's a, there's, looks like there might be something going on here in this particular scripture. Uh, in the Septuagint, this is what it says. Do, uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse seven. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was 
over the water of the river, and he lifted up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swear by him that lives forever that it should be for a time of times and a half time when the dispersion is ended, when the dispersion is ended, they shall, they shall know all these things. So in the Septuagint, which is much older and in many cases, maybe not all cases, but in many cases, is much is reliable than the Masoretic. Um, we don't have any mention at all about the power of the holy people being broken. So, uh, very good question, Tammy. Very good question, all, all you guys uh, that are part of the group. Um, my answer would be that th that particular translation is wrong. The NIV is is good on some other things, uh, but that is that's wrong uh, in that translation. I believe it is. Okay, I, I'm just saying. If you want my opinion on it or my point of view on it, I believe it's wrong, and I believe it's wrong based upon not just the footnote that we read on that verse, but also the Septuagint itself witnesses that that's not even in there. Um, so thank you very much, Tammy. And thank you guys, all you guys, part of that group that asked that question. Awesome question. And thanks for asking. Um, very, very good. Jordan says to Bob, I know I'm, you know, you're talking to Bob and not me, but uh, just caught my eye here. Paul's letters uh, get twisted a lot. I'm convinced that they have been tampered with. Let me just say one note about that. Now, I, I want to get into the Odes of Solomon quickly here, but um, just one note about that. Um, and that is that most scholars today believe that, okay, so there are, there are 13 of Paul's epistles in the Bible. And most scholars today say that only seven, only seven of those 13 are authentic. The other six, they believe, are not even by Paul at all. Now, there are many reasons why they believe that. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are many reasons why they believe that. But, and I can't go through them all right now. But one of the reasons is very interesting. And this is something that I've touched on several times over the past several months. The reason is that it's, you got like, if you compare like, like Romans and Galatians, Colossians, you, you, if you compare the seven accepted epistles of Paul compared that to the other six, you'll notice that for the most part, the other six have a totally different tone as opposed to the seven. The seven epistles that are believed to be for sure from Paul, they have, you know, there's a lot spoken in there about apparently against the law, against, uh, you know, apparently against, uh, you know, um, the Torah, the, you know, the, the Mount Sinai and, uh, you know, all this kind of thing. You got Galatians going on there. It's not by works, lest anyone should boast in Ephesians. You got, um, you know, this whole thing is by, by, by faith alone, right? Faith alone, not by works at all. But in, in the other 
letters, the latter, the later of Paul's letters, which are not believed to be authentic to many scholars, you don't have that kind of talk at all. You don't have any grace versus law talk. You don't have any um, faith alone talk. Actually, it's almost it's almost the opposite. Like, for example, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, like it's the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness and and live righteously. And, you know, so it sounds it sounds almost opposite to the other um, letters. Now, again, there are a lot more different reasons. So don't please don't misunderstand me. I it's, this is not the only reason why scholars believe that. So, you know, I know people might say, OK, I'll, I'll talk to that. And, you know, I'm going to I'm going to, you know, speak on that and I'll shoot that down. Well, if you shoot that down, you got a lot more to deal with because there are a lot more different reasons to uh, that that uh, scholars believe that those other six are not really from Paul. Do I believe it's not really from Paul? Uh, I would say the jury's out because if it's it's either one of two things, it's either Paul repented of talking like he talked in Galatians and Romans and yada, yada, yada. And he changed his tune, he changed his tone because of something like Acts chapter 21, hint, hint. Uh, it's either he repented over that and he and he didn't write because he got in so much trouble and it cost him so much money, lots of money, by the way. Most people couldn't afford it. Uh, what what he had to pay uh, to, uh, to take the vow for himself, let alone to sponsor four other men. Enormous cost. That's almost like buying a house. It's enormous cost, okay? Maybe not that much, okay, don't get me wrong. At least buying a good new car anyway. I mean, it, it was an enormous uh, cost. Um, so maybe he learned his lesson and he changed his tune. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's why those other six letters are so different. Um, and I have said that. Uh for a while, I've I have I've actually said that. I've said, you know, it seems to me like Paul learned his lesson in Acts chapter 21 and he changed his tune. He doesn't talk like that to Timothy or Titus or, you know, Philemon. He doesn't talk like that. Uh, he doesn't talk against the law anymore or against the traditions of the elders or the traditions of the Jews and that kind of thing. He doesn't so um it's either that or it is a different author. I don't think honestly, I don't see any other evidence to uh to lead us to believe anything different. It's either Paul repented and he's like, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I was, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have worded it like that or, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for saying that. I'm not going to say it again. And he didn't. It's either that happened or it is a dif different author. To me, that's, there's only two choices. Caballero says, I myself used to be like the Paulians, but not anymore. Thanks to God and to you, brother. I have done a complete change of mind and turned away from my erroneous, lawless ways. Wow. Talk about party. Talk about party. That's it. That's party material right there. Yeah, that's it. That's it right there. I mean, I believe that, and my, myself included, I mean, and I know there's lots of you, lots of, more of you guys that are on the same, in the same boat as well. Um, you know, you have, you have believed the Paul and for those of you who don't know why I'm saying Paulian, I'm not saying Pauline. By the way, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying Pauline as in L I N E. I'm not saying Paulian and Caballero's got it right as in L I A N S uh, because 
Christians are supposed to believe in Christ, which means to go by his teachings and to follow his example. To go by the teachings of Christ and to follow the, the, the example of Christ is what a Christian, Christian is supposed to be all about. But they don't. They don't go by the teachings of Christ. At least for the most part, they don't. They pick and choose a few things that they like, the little flowery verses that they like, but they go by the teachings of Paul instead. They don't take the example of Christ. They, they base their entire theology on Paul. That's the reason why I say they should not be called a Christian or a Christian. They should be called a Paulian. And some people take offense to that. I'm like, well, why should you be offended by being called a Paulian? I mean, if you are a Paulian, you're a Paulian. You know, so it's like, why should you be offended if you're a Christian to be called a Christian? If you're following Christ, you're to be to be called a Christian. Um, but yeah, um, that's awesome, Caballero. Praise God. And thank you very much. You have been a blessing to myself. And I know you've been a blessing to many, many others here on, on in the fellowship as well. Uh, praise God for you, brother. Thank you very much. Great Deception says, myself, I don't like NIV. Yeah, um, I, I hear you. I hear you. I understand. People who say they don't like the NIV doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Uh, I mean, at the begin in the beginning, I in the, in my beginning walk with the Lord back again back in 1992, the NIV was my it was my Bible, it was my thing, it was what I I went by the NIV more than anything. Uh, but now looking back, I see how there are things about the NIV that you know, yeah, I hear you. There are things. Yeah, misleading. Some of the things are misleading for sure. Tammy says, wow, thank you from the group. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Blessings multiplied upon every one of you, each one of you. Okay. Again, I apologize. I'd like to get, to, I wish I could get to every single um, comment. But I can't, I just don't have the time and I can't keep up with you guys. Anyway, let's get on to the Odes of Solomon. Yeah, so the Odes of Solomon, um, they are obviously, they are attributed to Solomon and there are 42 Odes. Uh, the Odes of Solomon are uh, generally dated at a later date than what you would expect to be attributed to Solomon. Like they wouldn't be dated back to the time of Solomon. Typically, uh, scholars would believe that it, it was written around the first or second century. Um, and, they, and they think that the original language of the Odes of Solomon was either Greek or Syriac. Uh, so, However, because it is attributed to Solomon, I thought it'd be very interesting interesting to, to dip into it. Um, at least with that in mind, that, uh, you know, um, perhaps it was polluted by Christians. Perhaps there was a, an original old... Uh, Odes of Solomon, and then some Christians actually threw in their own theology into it and kind of corrupted it. Um, nevertheless, let's get into the first four Odes of Solomon. By the way, the 
I think it's the second. I haven't, the second ode is not even really in, uh, it's, it's missing. So, um, we only have three odes instead. So, okay. Ode one, the Lord is on my head like a crown. I shall never be without him. Plated for me is the crown of truth, and it caused your branches to blossom for me or blossom in me. For it is not like a parched crown that blossoms not, for you live upon my head and have blossomed upon me. Your fruits are full and complete. They are full of your salvation. Ode number three. Again, ode number two is has not yet been found, but ode number three. Looks like there's something missing here in the first part as well. But uh, verse one, at least part of verse one says, I am putting on the love of the Lord and his his members are with him and I am dependent on them and he loves me for I should, I should not have known how to love the Lord if he had not continuously loved me. Who is able to distinguish love except him? Who is loved? I love the beloved, and I myself love him. And where his rest is, there also I am I. And I shall be no stranger, because there is no jealousy with the Lord Most High and merciful. I have been united to him, because the lover has been found beloved. Because I love him, that is, that is, the son, I shall become a son. Indeed, he who is joined to him, who is immortal, truly shall be immortal. And he who delights in the life will become living. This is the spirit of the Lord, which is not false, which teaches the sons of men to know his ways. Be wise and understanding and awakened. Hallelujah. Ode 4. No man can pervert your holy place, O my God, nor can he change it and put it to another place, because he has no power over it, for sanctuary you have you designed before before you excuse me, for your sanctuary you have desi- designed before you made special places. The ancient one shall not be perverted by those which are inferior to it. You have given your heart, O Lord, to your believers. Never will you be idle, nor will you be without fruits. For one hour of your faith is more excellent than all days and years. For who shall be, who shall be on your grace and be rejected? Because your seal is known and your creatures are known to it, and your hosts possess it, and the elect archangels are clothed with it. You have given to us your fellowship, not that you were in need of us, but that we are always in need of you. Shower upon us your gentle rain and open your bountiful springs, which abundantly supply us with milk and honey. For there is no regret with you, that you should regret anything which you have promised, since the result was manifest to you. For that which you gave, you gave freely, 
so that no longer will you draw back and take them again. For all was manifest to you as God and was set in order from the beginning before you. And you, O Lord, have made all. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Um, someone asked me over there on Twitch if I sing. Well, I have sung before. Uh, actually, I got a, a guitar right beside me here. I haven't sung for a while on, on here on live. Maybe perhaps sometime I will, but not tonight. Okay. Um, all right, guys. So that wraps it up for tonight. Very interesting. Tomorrow night we will pick up where we left off again on Saturday morning. Uh, I will be uh, on Dr. Snyder's uh, Shabbat Fellowship. Uh, he invited me to come on uh, his fellowship and share on Saturday morning. So I'll do that. Uh, Lord willing, I will be back again on uh, Saturday afternoon, that very afternoon, doing uh, the regular uh, fellowship that we usually do on Shabbat. Until then, we'll be, we'll be going every single day. As always, 7 p.m. Eastern every day. 7 p.m. Eastern every day. And as always, the uh, live chat is open for you guys to chat with one another, of course, and also ask questions as we go along. And I will do my best to answer them. So I appreciate every one of you guys. You guys are awesome. Blessings multiplied to you guys. You, As I always say, you guys are world changers. You guys are world changers. Uh, keep on pressing into God. Seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. Call upon him. As I said in a lot of my older videos, call upon him and he will show you great and mighty things. Amen. Amen. All right. So we have one John who says, thanks, Christopher. These are very interesting readings. Yes, they were. Thank you very much, brother. Um, all right, guys. So again, as, as time goes along, I will be, uh, um, inviting guests on as well, having different guests, uh, to, to share, uh, some of the things. And just because I have a guest on as, as I've said before, doesn't mean that everything they say is something that I endorse, right? I mean, um, but I do have them on for a reason. Uh, I believe it's important to hear all sides. I, I believe it's important for everybody to make their case, no to make their case known, uh, to make their case. I do believe it's very important for everybody to think for themselves and um, come to your own conclusion. You know, uh, use some good critical thinking skills and you will be blessed because of it. Amen. I mean, I believe that good critical thinking comes from God. God is a God of intelligence and all good intelligence and all good knowledge comes from him. I believe that I believe the devil is the devil of ignorance and stupidity and lack of knowledge. I think the devil lives in an area of lack of knowledge. Where there's lack of knowledge, that's where that's where the devil's domain is. So let's attain knowledge 
and um, and wisdom, as we read earlier. And we will be blessed. Uh, Tammy says tomorrow, Jackson Snyder. No, uh, no, uh, sorry. Uh, it would be Saturday, Saturday morning, but that's on uh, Dr. Snyder's fellowship. Now, I'm not even sure if he if he live streams that or if that I mean, but anybody I'm pretty sure everybody's welcome anyway. I'm not sure how I'm really not sure how uh, to watch that live if he live streams it or not. But uh, regardless, he did invite me to um, on his fellowship, which is online. I think he uses Zoom. He does a Zoom, an online Zoom fellowship thing. So, uh, yeah, that'll be Saturday. But up until then, every night, Lord willing, Monday through Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern, we'll be back doing what we're doing here. And perhaps, Lord willing, sometime very soon, I'll have a surprise for you guys in regards to a guest or two that will come on here. All right. The Great Deception says, thank you, brother. Much love to you all and blessings. Much love to you as well, brother. Blessings multiplied to you. Caballero says, thank you, Christopher, for today's Bible reading. Thank you, uh, Caballero. I appreciate you. Tammy says, have a great night. You too, Tammy, and the group as well. Shalom, much shalom upon every one of you. Going Nowhere says, God bless Christopher. Glad I was able to tune in tonight for Song of Solomon. It's probably a controversial yet special book for sure. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Vero Yahad. Yeah, Vero Yahad is... uh, Dr. Snyder's fellowship. That's what it's called. He's got a, it's got a name for it. It's called Vero Yahad. Yes. Anthony says, God bless. God bless you more, Anthony. Thank you very much. Oh, you're doing a, Tammy's doing a show Tuesday with Snyder. Awesome. 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 Great to hear that. Yes. All right. Okay, guys. That's it for tonight. As always, I pray for each one of you that the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and lift up his countenance upon you, give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow night.